Our Bible reading is taken from Psalm 130, which can be found in the Church Bible, page 624. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. This is the word of the Lord. Father, as we think on this psalm, we pray, Father, that you would see, help us to see the depths of our sin and the mercy of the Lord Jesus. And we pray, Father, that we would share in this psalmist's confidence of your redemption. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I know one of the biggest differences, I think, between us today and previous generations is our attitude to waiting. Our whole society is set up, isn't it? So we never have to wait. We have Amazon Prime, so we get the packages the next day or even sometimes the same day. We have streaming, so we never have to wait for the VHS. Uh, ask your parents, kids, uh, <laughs> to hit the shops. Uh, we can stream it instantly. We have instant credit, so we don't have to wait to save up for an item. We can buy it instantly. And because of that, we think that we shouldn't have to wait. I get apologized to now in Audi for having to wait two minutes, and I think that's not worthy of an apology. See, our instant society, though, can make something like Advent a bit weird or a bit difficult to understand, a bit of a hangover from the past. Because Advent, as I'm sure you'll know, is a season all about waiting. Not waiting for Christmas or December the 25th, but waiting for Jesus' return. And I don't know about you, but I hear that each year, and I think to myself, well, that sounds very good, but I'm not sure I'm very good at waiting. I'm not really sure what I'm meant to do with that information either. Yes, in my head, I know Jesus will return, but that doesn't get my heart beating faster. It doesn't get my guts longing for the day of his return. And the problem is, I think I struggle sometimes to see why waiting is worth it and why it is worth not having that instant gratification. And this psalm this morning is all about designed, is designed for us to, to wait well, to help us to see why waiting is worth it. Uh, we're going to see that actually we wait, first of all, in the depths. Secondly, though, we're going to see that we wait for deliverance. And thirdly, we see that we're waiting for the day. See, the first reason why Jesus' return is worth waiting for is where we find ourselves. See, this psalm, uh, look at the um, verse uh, above, verse 1, verse 0, if you like. It's actually part of the original psalm. And um, we see that it's called a song of a sense. And um, we 
think they're called the Songs of Ascents because they were sung as people ascended up to Jerusalem for the festivals three or four times a year. But this psalmist isn't in the ascendancy. So you might expect this to be a very happy time. These festivals were full of joy. The whole family would get together. I mean, it was December the 25th on steroids. It really was. And they would come up to Jerusalem, but not for this psalmist. Look at where they are, verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. See, they may be ascending with their feet, but they're quickly descended in their heart. They're far from cloud nine. They're in the pits of despair. And some of us will know that pain. While everyone around us is having a merry, jolly time in the ascendancy to Christmas, for us it's a heavy one, recycling painful memories, grieving what is lost. And we find ourselves in the depths. But why is this psalmist in the depths? Well, the answer is a surprising one. Because look at what the psalmist is calling on God for at the end of verse 2. They're calling for mercy. And look at why they're crying for mercy at the end of verse 2. In verse 3, because they say, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand See, it's about the Lord. See, they're in the depths because of their sin and what the Lord thinks of it. And so this psalm is less about kind of general suffering or the general anguish that comes from walking through that life on this earth. There are psalms about that. There are plenty of them. But this psalm is more about the Lord and the difficulty of approaching him. So you can just imagine, can't you, this psalmist, they're getting ready for this big pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. And as they see the temple on the hill from a distance, they get a sudden sense of God's holiness. And they think to themselves, he sees everything. He judges sin. He's not an unjust judge. He judges perfectly. And then they look at their own heart and think to themselves, how can I approach I'm not worthy to come up to this temple. Oh Lord, I'm in the depths of my sin. Now, I've never been quite where the psalmist is physically, thankfully, but I do remember one scary experience back in Spain where I came off a paddle boat and uh, some friends of mine thought it was a very funny thing to do, but it really wasn't funny. I was plunged in backwards. I was just pushed off this boat and... um, because I went in backwards, I was so disorientated that it took a while to surface. And uh, as I did surface, I saw the boat had gone off in the distance, and I was in the middle of the sea. And I had that kind of feeling, you know, you get in your stomach, of of panic. Uh, Because as I put my feet down, I got no kind of solid ground. It just cut through the water, and then your mouth goes under the water as well. And you see this in the psalm, don't you? As they look at God's holiness and his attitude to sin, and they look at their heart, they they feel like they're in the sea. Nowhere to stand. Perhaps we know how they feel. Perhaps we're conscious of 
our standing before the Lord. Perhaps we're in the twilight of our lives and we know that it's not long before we face God ourselves. And we think to ourselves sometimes, how am I going to stand before him with what I've done? Or maybe we just feel the general heaviness of our failures. We have things that we hope no other human being would ever find out about us. And we think of God and we think, wow, I'm utterly without a leg to stand on. Or maybe this is actually a bit of a corrective, and I think this is where it lands for me, because we don't feel the weight of sin as we should. It's easy, isn't it, to have that kind of nice granddad view of God, that he's a sort of person I can sweet talk if I mess up now and again. But that, of course, is not the God we meet in Scripture. As we look at his holiness, we should feel the depths of our sin. Here's what John the Baptist says about Jesus' arrival. He says this, The axe has been laid at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. His winnowing fork, this is Jesus, is in his hand. He will clear his threshing, uh, threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, and burn burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now this is the very first advent. It's not a surprise that this doesn't really make it to the advent calendars, does it? It's not great to get a chocolate out and and read this. But this is how John the Baptist introduces Jesus. And so as we think, as we do in advent, to Jesus' return, we, we can't be sort of puffed up with our chests out confident. We don't want to stand on a podium of our achievements. We come to him in the depths, crying out for mercy. But of course, that's not the end. And if it was, it would be a very somber morning indeed. But secondly, we see there's a second reason here to wait for the Lord. And that's where the psalmist turns to next. See, they they feel the weight of their sin, but they remember another truth about God, and it comes in verse 4. It says this, But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. See, the same God whose holiness condemns sin is the same God who forgives our iniquities. See, just like the sun, it destroys anything that gets even remotely close to its presence Well, it also gives life, doesn't it, to everything we see around us. And the word for forgiveness here is a a rare word. It's not used very often. It's used here and it's used in Leviticus. And it's, it's, it's the word for kind of atone. See, it's the kind of forgiveness that comes when a person is absolutely banged to rights and comes before the Lord and an animal has to be sacrificed on their behalf. And so the psalmist isn't just kind of wishfully thinking that God will brush over sins. They're not saying to themselves that God will forget that sin matters. No, they know know that there will be atonement, a solution to sin in God himself. So what does the psalmist do in the depths? Well, actually, they they do nothing. Or rather, they wait, verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits And in his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. 
See, the psalmist does the only thing they can. They wait. See, they know they've got no leg to stand on. They find themselves in the complete darkness of the deep sea. And all they can do is wait. And they make a comparison in verse 6, like the watchman, wait for the morning. Now, we, we know what watchmen are because they're still around. If you've ever worked late in the office, you'll see that people come into the office to watch over the office building during the night. And in the ancient world, they had these kind of watchmen, these security guards on the, the, temp, uh, on the city walls. Uh, I was actually in York yesterday, and um, we were on the bus, and we went past the Roman walls that circ- uh, go encircle the city. And I was saying to my kids that actually, once the door gets closed, it's kind of safe for the night. And uh, the, the watchmen go up on the walls and watch over the city. And in a sense, the watchmen don't actually have anything to do. I'm sure it's a, a great career, but actually it can be quite a dull one because all your job is to do is to watch. And Eugene Peterson, speaking, uh, a, a minister speaking on these verses, he says that actually the dawn, it, a lot of activities going on. It involves these massive cosmic forces as the earth spins on its axis. But actually, the watchman just waits. They just watch for the dawn, because then they know the city is safe. And the psalmists, they know the only hope for their sin is to wait on the Lord himself. See, they don't underplay their sin, thinking, well, how bad am I really? You know, I'm only human, that sort of thing. They don't try themselves to atone for it, by saying, well, in the meantime, I'll do a lot of good things and maybe God will be pleased with me in the future. No, they know they're in the depths. They don't hide that. They wait. They cry out. And they wait for the Lord. You see a wonderful example of this waiting in uh, Luke chapter 2, because you there meet the prophetess, Anna. And look at what her attitude is to the Lord. We read this. There was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phenuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. It's a wonderful image, isn't it, of what it looks like to wait. She was there at the temple, year after year, fasting, praying, waiting on the Lord. And we too are waiting people. Uh, We don't wait in Jerusalem, we don't wait at the temple, but we are still walking through our world, which is under the judgment of God. And often we get kind of one or two reactions to that. Either we will get consumed by our sin and think, woe is me, I can never face God, or we get comfortable with our sin and think to ourselves, I'm okay. But notice the psalmist does nothing, Uh, doesn't either, does he? He acknowledges his sin. He sees the depths. But there's no one hint. There's not one hint of him doubting the solution. We wait in the depths. We wait, secondly, for our deliverance. And thirdly, we see here a final reason why we wait for the Lord. Because this redemption has actually begun to come. See, notice the psalm. It starts in a very different it ends in a very different place to where it started. It begins in the depths of despair, but it ends on this great note of hope, of redemption. Look at verse 7. O Israel, 
Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. See, it's a very different ending, isn't it? But what's missing in the psalm is how that, how that end comes about. It starts in the depths, it ends with hope, but there's no kind of answer to that resolution. That is until we press fast forward and see the solution come centuries after this psalm was written. Because at Jesus' birth, his parents ascended up to the temple. And at the temple, they met this waiting prophetess, Anna, the one who had been waiting her whole life at the temple. And here's what she says uh, when she sees Jesus. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Here's the child, she says. Here's the answer. Here's the one we've been waiting for. Here's the Redeemer. She sees through a fading eyesight and points with her wrinkled hands at the Lord Jesus and praises God for his redemption. And we see that redemption come not just in Jesus' birth, but in his death three decades later. Because then Jesus ascended once again to Jerusalem, this time not to be presented at the temple, but to be cursed and kicked out of the city. Through the darkness of Good Friday, the dawn of redemption came. See, the one person we could name in answer to question three, O Lord, who could stand, is the one who had no record of sins who came and the Lord said to him, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Yet he did not stand in his father's presence, even though he deserved to. He was plunged into the depths of his father's condemnation. Jesus cried like the psalmist from those depths, didn't he? O Lord, O Lord, why have you forsaken me? But unlike the psalmist, there was no God who heard his voice, no opening of his father's ears. He went to the depths alone, plunged under his father's wrath. But Jesus redeemed us so that we never have to face those depths ourselves. See, the forgiveness the psalmist waits for through the dark watches of the night has come through the darkness of Good Friday. And so that we can in him say, Lord, you forgive sins, and we can stand because of the Lord Jesus. See, we wait for the day of redemption, not like not quite knowing whether God will forgive or not. We know he will forgive because he has forgiven us in the Lord Jesus. We wait for the day of redemption, not kind of as some wishful thinking, but because we know that Jesus has come in real history and real time and died and risen in front of people, so we can be absolutely confident that redemption will be seen one day. See, we are in the depths, and God will deliver, and he has delivered in the Lord Jesus. And the question this psalm prompts us to ask of ourselves is, do we long for that? Do we wait for that as this psalmist does? 
See, this Christmas, it's, there's been a lot of waiting, hasn't there? I mean, it's almost two years in the run-up to this Christmas, and we're rightfully excited about what's coming. I can't wait. But I know that actually what's really worth waiting for is not the chance to overindulge in a turkey dinner or unwrapping the Amazon Prime deliveries, but it comes from somewhere far deeper, doesn't it? It comes from knowing this truth, that although I deserve to be in the depths, facing the condemnation of God, that Jesus has come, he's redeemed, he's pulled me out of the depths, and so I, with this psalmist, can put my hope in the Lord's redemption of all people, of, of me. And the question is, do we know for that? Do we know that? Do we long for that? Perhaps we wouldn't call ourselves a Christian and we're still weighing things up. And I hope you find St. Mary's is a real home for you as you do that. We, we welcome all people, wherever, whatever stage they're in. But if you're looking at what the Christian life is about, look here. Because here we've got the kind of Christian message in a nutshell. We're sinful. We're in the depths. God can redeem. And he has redeemed in the Lord Jesus. And all of us are invited to taste that redemption. And if we are Christian, well, this is a great place to revisit, isn't it? As we approach the Christmas um, season, as we look to the Lord Jesus' coming. Uh, this has been a great psalm for me as I've prepared it, just to just think, Rob, do I understand what I've been redeemed from? And do I understand how I've been redeemed and what I've been redeemed for? It'd be a great psalm to say to yourself as you go home today, a great, a great psalm to pray through in the week ahead. As we finish, we remember that we have been delivered from the depths. We have been delivered by God, and we do await that day where that will be seen as the Lord Jesus returns. Let's pray. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. And so we pray, our Heavenly Father, that you would help us to, by your Spirit, understand the full depths of our sin before you. But help us, Father, to see the joy of waiting for what the Lord Jesus has achieved. For we ask it in his name. Amen.